Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this is Playing With with Science. Science. Today we explore the universe with the 2016 PGA Championship winner, Jimmy Walker. Yeah. And if you ever wondered where geeks and jocks collide, you are in the right place because it's right here and it's right now. Yeah, and check this out. Jimmy Walker has his own personal telescope in the Atacama Desert, trained on the stars, so when he's not sinking putts, he's shooting stars because we can let him hook up with our best friend, as you know him, better as your own personal astrophysicist, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. But it's not all about amazing astrophotography. Jimmy draws us into the golf tech that's reshaping the clubs, the courses, and even the players themselves. Plus, giving us the inside knowledge on golf tech is former global product line manager of Nike Golf Clubs and now Nike Golf Shoes, Matt Plump. Yep, it's going to be one of those shows. And yes, you are going to love it. All right, Chuck, let's introduce our guest. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, he's a, the 2016 PGA Championship winner. He's a six times on the PGA Tour so far. He's been selected uh, to two Ryder Cup teams and one President's Cup team. I, I believe that's where we uh, talked to Jeff Ogilvy. Yeah, yeah, yeah his, uh, on that same team. Um, and one of the PGA Tour star players, literally and figuratively, which I can't wait to get into that because we'll find that out in a minute. Yeah, uh, it's none other than Mr. Jimmy Walker. Jimmy, welcome to Playing With Science, sir. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on today, guys. I like how you said six wins and basically counting, so that was good. Yes. We're not writing you off. We never write you off, my friend. Now, we have the good doctor with us, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, and you, and this one, um, I can't say surprise, but intrigued me. You're an astrophotographer, sir. That's amazing. How on earth did you get into that? I think it it all stemmed as a, as a kid. I had a telescope and looked at the moon and I got older and our first child was being born and it was kind of one of those deals where I was always interested in it. My wife said, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, how about a telescope? So it started there and then I was fascinated with all the pictures and stuff that I'd seen that everybody had been taken, especially from amateurs. And I said, man, that'd be pretty cool. Let me try that in my backyard. Well, figured you couldn't, I learned that you couldn't do that very well from the city lights. And so it just turned into an obsession to get to darker and darker places. And I got better and better equipment. And that's how it just, that's how it all started. So, so I, I got nothing against golf. I'm only here because of your astrophotography. I just want you to, <laughs> in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's You're not getting a free round of golf there, Neil. You know you've talked yourself out of that. I so. Show. That's all right. So, so, it's uh, been know, an incredible I, experience. I've had so much fun doing it. Jimmy, I have to ask you, because I'm on your wait, wait, just site. Just yeah, he's got a website. Yes. Okay. yes I was this about is not to just say a it. private secret avocation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Plus, I have, to, no. I have to say something. Go ahead. He referenced amateur astronomers. An amateur astronomer is an expert in the night sky. That's right. Do not confuse amateur astronomer with amateur neurosurgeon. (laughs) (laughs) Or some profession where you would not go to them if the word amateur showed up on their door. By the way, that's why I have no feeling in my left leg. Amateur neurosurgeon. (laughs) (laughs) So, So amateur astronomer is actually a badge of honor in our field. These are people who live for their access to the night sky. Yeah. And it made it a hobby like none other. And uh, they're the ones who can get you around 
uh, and and just ask them about their telescope, and they'll talk to you for the next hour. Well, that's... Hey, Jimmy, what, what, what do you pack? Okay. Uh, uh, excuse me, I got them now. Go what, what, what do you pack? <laughs> what do you have? I'm using a 16-inch Richie Cratian, and excuse it's a me. pretty good yeah. size. Yeah, you're not... a good size scope. That's called a non-portable telescope. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It yeah. Is. yeah. You, know, you, you I, got... actually, uh, I actually just got it set up in uh, the Atacama Desert in Chile. I mean, literally like three days ago. So we've shipped it out from California, and it's it's literally in Chile right now. You just lost your amateur status. You, <laughs> you know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't so, do okay, anything I mean, half-assed. Chuck, Chuck is checking out your website, and I'm sort of uh, rubbernecking here. Wait, wait, wait. One other, I got it's it. Wait, awesome. One other thing. The Atacama Desert. Yes. Look it up in the Guinness Book of World Records. It is the driest place on Earth. It's never rained. Is that right? It has never rained, and the little bit that it was rained, I think somebody was peeing at the time. <laughs> oh, TMI. <laughs> and, and rain it comes from clouds, so it's basically one of the cloudless, it's a cloudless. cloudless yeah. places on Earth. So he knows of where he puts his telescope. Jimmy, wow. Just yeah, 300, 320 clear nights a year. Yeah. 320 clear nights a year. That's a pretty good run, I got to say. Uh, <laughs> run. Shut up now. Go no, no. You're, it's, it's great to see you so excited. I mean, <laughs> Jimmy, you're, like, we've never seen him this excited to have a guest on. <laughs> especially, especially a sports <laughs> guest. So, yeah. All right, you've got to talk us through Dark Skywalker because it sounds like half Sky at Night, half Star Wars. So you better explain for a novice like me. I mean, you know, I, I'll take credit. I came up with it all by myself. It was just a nice play off of, you know, Dark Sky and Skywalker and Star Wars and just tying it all together. And and uh, I was actually shocked that the domain name was available when I when I looked for it. But uh, that was it. I just thought it was a good play on words. And it was, it, you know, it was kind of Dark Skywalker. Oh, you can two different ways. So it was good. I loved it. So, Jimmy, I'm looking at these images, and for those of you interested um, at home, it's darkskywalker.com, all right? And uh, you'll see Jimmy's images. These are so stunning, and they're so professional, I have to admit. No, they're they're so amateur. They're so amateur. <laughs> yes, that's I take that back. That's, that's, in my field. Right. That's, that's the okay. good, that's the, that's the biggest compliment. Uh -huh. is the, Most professional astrophysics can't do that. Can't do that. They don't know how to they're, do that. They're so amateur and they're so <laughs> professional. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I honestly thought you took these off of NASA.com and just slapped your name on it or something. But how do you process these? How do you... How does what is the process of coming up with this final image? I'm just I'm just curious. I, it's got to be yeah, it's got to be intense. You don't have to get into the weeds. Photoshop gets such a bad name today because <laughs> everybody thinks it's it's correcting flaws in people's faces and the whole Hollywood deal. But Photoshop is an, actually an incredibly powerful software program, and that's what all the Hubble images are. Mm -hmm put together on it's what all the mars rover stuff and it's all spliced together all using photoshop so it's an incredible powerful program and that's what i use um so when you take a picture and, and of something you're not paid in the middle by adobe night, you're not paid by adobe i'm not i'm not <laughs> it should be it should be that's funny but i mean it's just like it's it takes a lot of time it takes hours and hours and hours uh of data to get a good signal. I mean, you got to think when you're shooting into the middle of the dark sky, there's nothing there. You have to accumulate a lot of light and a lot of soak time on a picture. And then, so I use a monochrome camera, so I have to go red, green, and blue and shoot for each color. And then I do a, a black and white for all the detail. And by the time you get done with it, a lot of these pictures have over 24 hours worth of data and you just use software to stack the pictures on top of each other and increase the signal. And that's how you get a really clean, pretty image. It's not noisy. Wow! So like when you take forget. a picture in a you take a picture in a dark room with your cell phone camera, you can't do it. It looks all pixelated and nasty. And and so that's imagine that in the middle of the night in space, trying to take a picture of something that you can't see. So it, wow. it takes hours and hours and hours and hours to do it. Amazing. So, so what's going on there is in a very low signal. The picture you get is mostly noise, right. actually, and and you see as as and, and, saying, and for those who are uninitiated, noise would be distortion. No, right? no, no, not distortion. Well, it's just it's it's well, it could come from many different places. It could be just the temperature of the camera. Okay, when you take a picture at the beach, 
this bright sun right. and the, 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 the exposure is a thousandth of a second. Right. All the light you need is there in that fraction of a second. When, as, as Jimmy said, if, you look, if you're photographing something your eyes can't see, you just told it's there, you got to open up the shutter and just leave the leave thing open running. or accumulate enough data. And what happens is, the, as you accumulate data, the thing that's there builds. Right. And the noisy, when I say noise, this is a visual noise. Right. So the noise that's there, sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down, that ultimately cancels out. But the signal that you're after builds. Right. So you increase your signal relative to the noise. And he's stacking, when he says stack, right. he's got all these images that have noise going in every direction, but the thing he's after- But the signal is always the it's same. It's always there. It's always remains. And as he stacks him, the signal rises up right. out of the firmament. <laughs> And he's and he gets his beautiful pictures that he does. And one other thing, he just said it, but I gotta like emphasize it. You, you, you're taking black and white photos through color filters. Right. It's still a black and white photo, but it's what the sky would register coming through a color filter. You take the RGB black and white pictures, put them together through RGB light, and you get a full color photo. Right. You, and that's that's how we do it. We don't use color film. No. So yeah. Speak. Yeah. That right, makes right. sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're building element by element. Yes, you are. That's great. Okay. So, Jimmy, I mean, you, you, we've just went through your list of honors there, and that's a dream for just about any sportsman. Let What's that so much money fight. the man made? No, no, that You made a couple of dollars no, in there. No, no, no. We don't no wonder why he's flying his telescope to Atacama. Don't monetarize this conversation. <laughs> I mean, the man, I, the man smile on the man's face. He's we happy. got him over Skype right now. Yeah, he's happy as. He's and like I'm with him. Cheshire cat smile. For okay. sure. All right, well. So, all of those things that must have given you such a professional buzz as a sportsman, but what was the biggest thrill going with the telescope? Because there's a lot of detective work, a lot of time, as you've explained. What was the biggest thrill? What was the one photograph wow. you've sat and looked at and go, I am so proud of that one? I think some of the, I think some of the deep galaxy pictures that I've taken, and it's not just the, the foreground galaxy that I've, uh, that I've gone after. It's being able to pull out the background stuff and get rid of the noise and be able to show stuff uh, from an amateur side that's billions of light years away. Being able to, you know, when somebody looks at one of my pictures and there's five to 10,000 galaxies in one picture, uh, to me, that's that's a real accomplishment for an amateur astrophot for an astrophotographer. It's easy to take a picture of the moon. It's easy to do a picture of Orion, pretty much, but because it's so bright and it, it the color just explodes. Uh, being able to mm -hmm. dig out that stuff way in the background on these deep yeah, galaxy I'm, I'm, pictures are, that's my favorite thing. Can to you do. talk about this in the locker room? Sorry, yeah. Chuck. Uh, can you talk about this in the locker room with the other guys and not get are there other golfers in a really strange like, way? Oh, man, here comes Jimmy. We're going to have to talk about I'm, galaxies again. Uh, I'm never the one that has to bring it up. Everybody yeah. usually brings it up to me. So uh, it's, cool. it's pretty interesting. Guys, I've had guys ask for artwork and I've, on some stuff and some guys home. Yeah, that's cool. So as I as you as you look at this website, there's a progression of my history with astronomy or how I process data. And in the very beginning, it was very bright and oversaturated, and my color balance is off. And as I get down towards the bottom, I think my the skills have gotten a lot better. There, I've had a bunch of uh, astronomy pictures of the day from NASA and APOD. those guys. Uh, so that's a big honor. Yeah. So there's a website, APOD, All right. uh, right. and it's a uh, every day, there's a beautiful picture from somewhere in the universe, and you can submit one of your pictures for. It. I got one. A, a P O D. Yeah. And even, I've worked this one out. Uh, astronomy picture of the day. Yeah. Right. And many people have it as their screensaver, or the, the first thing. It's or what or, or the the homepage you come up to on your uh, on your screen. So why do you have to look at your own website every single time? Right. Once you look right. at something that changes every day. So congratulations on getting some A P O D action. I have one yeah. A P O D. It was a, right. a Manhattan Henge. Well, they put that okay. up once. I got a Manhattan Henge one. Oh, very nice. But they're really after it stuff yes. that Jimmy's. Doing. I was. Yeah. 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 I think I think I've got seven or eight, Neil. So you got some work to do. Oh! <laughs> they called me out. And it's very nice. It's, it's, I'm only going to keep getting more with this move to Chile. I think. Yeah. 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 Mm. That's fantastic. Mm. So let me ask you this: There's, This is a silly question, but if you could hit a golf ball to any galaxy. Which one would it be? If I could hit one at it? D yeah. Shoot. I don't know. Andromeda is pretty cool. I've, I've actually, you can, if you get into a dark enough spot, you know, it's that it's so big and it's so close. You can actually see it with your eyes. Um, right. 
and I've done it in a couple of places in New Mexico. I've been able to see it. And you actually see it from my home sometimes if the sky is really transparent. But Andromeda is the. But, uh, it's a cool. Yeah. It's a hard galaxy to shoot because the core is so bright. You have to do HDR type exposure real long, and then you can get the. You go deep, you can get all the crazy stuff on the outside, and then you've got to shoot tight for the core. And I've got a couple of really good pictures of Andromeda on there. Just to be clear, he's talking about how bright something is that you otherwise can't see unless you're in a very dark place. Yeah. That's how good his photography is. Wow. Just so you know. Yes. Uh, so Andromeda is the farthest object visible to the unaided human eye. Right. Ooh. It's two so million you, light years away. Is it really? Yeah. The single farthest object. That we can, yeah. we can see it. We, yeah, with right. the naked eye. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's talking so about hitting cool. a golf ball to a, a, a galaxy. But wait a minute. We have other, like, yeah. golf, you know, golf has been around the, the solar right. system, you know. You realize this. And... That. Um, but the... Uh, so, Jimmy, it's fun when you always hear they talk about landing, um, putting landers on Mars by traveling all these many miles over these many months, leaving Earth, which is a moving target, to Mars, which is a moving target. So you have to send it to not where Mars is, but where it will be in nine months, where they then intersect. Yeah. And they always reference golf when they do it. Yeah. They say it's like a hole in one over however many, because they land it within like a five kilometer circle. On Mars, and they yeah. and they, it's a better right. hole in one than any all that ever hit. So I, I was always jealous I that can't imagine. that was a sport that was always used. I never played golf, but it was always the reference for how accurate the NASA missions are when they land stuff in craters on Mars. Gotcha. I was going to ask you, Jimmy. I mean, we know you have quite a fascination with the the universe. Has that sort of translated itself into an interest in science? And as so, has that? involved itself in your game as a player you know it's hard to say you can kind of get wrapped up in your own little world when you're out playing and but there's there's times in your life when everything kind of seems to slow down and you realize hey man it's just a game and you know when i sit there at night and look up in the sky and see how big it is and what's out there and the vastness of it uh you know it's like man when you get over a hard golf shot sometimes it's like just a little ball floating around out here with all that going on, you know, it doesn't seem real important, you know, but at the same time, it's, you know, when your kids are born, it's the same way. Everything is so right here and so right in your lap. And that's the most important thing. And all the other stuff just kind of washes away. So you can go both ways with it. So are you, are you saying that you have discovered a golf cosmic perspective? It's a golf. That's what that sounds like to me. Yeah. And yeah. exactly what you need is a golfer. Yeah. You don't get too high. You don't get too low. You don't let a missed shot phase you. You just, yeah, that's cool. I can deal with this. Yeah. It's a stabilizing force yeah. on the field. All right, Jimmy, sort of bring it back a little bit more terrestrial here. The number of developments with golf clubs, where are we at right now in terms of what's new as far as the tech's concerned? So the governing bodies have, have put a limit on how fast a golf ball can come off of the club face. So we're kind of limited on distance. Um, but scientists and engineers can kind of tweak that. And now it's about the aerodynamics of the golf ball and always changing and trying to figure out new ways to put the dimples on the golf ball so they can make golf balls that different certain covers and different uh, layers of hardness inside and the way those react to each other. They create more spin. They create less spin. Some, some balls fly through the fly into the wind better. Um, so there's all kinds of little tricks that, that the companies are trying to do to get an edge because by law, a ball can only come off so fast. So Wait, they've why kind of are they limiting, Jimmy, why are they limiting how fast a ball can come off the golf? Suppose I'm just a really fast swinger. I don't understand why. why so it doesn't this. matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how fast you swing it. Uh, you know, if you're, if you swing it at 130 miles an hour, there's some math formula that the ball can't come off any faster than this. This it's called coefficient or coefficient of restitution, the COR, and that's the number that's of the ball itself. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's a property of the ball. So I get that. I think. Okay. I, I think. I mean, it's the formula is it can't come off any faster when they they've got a testing machine that they hit the faces and if it comes off at point two five seven that's the max legal limit uh if you go over that the club's considered damaged and it needs to be taken out of play so we're limited now, on people, that if we're limited having, on the grooves 
if people are inventing different kinds of balls for different purposes, does that mean you can go in there with a portfolio of balls for specific kinds of shots that you take? Exactly. So say you've got a golf course that you know is going to play really hard and firm and fast, and when a ball lands on the green, it's going to have a hard time stopping. You can actually go to a golf ball that is going to, the club will be able to grab it more with the grooves and put more spin on it. And a lot of guys don't really do that, though. It, it takes a while to get acclimated and accustomed to a golf ball to know exactly what it does in every situation with the wind. And so guys don't really do that. You try to find a golf ball that's great all around her. Mm. Absolutely. And do, 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 <clears throat> so for somebody at your level, these things, I mean, the, the level of competition is so high, it makes sense for these things to, you know, give you an edge. Yeah, what, small things are big things. Small things are huge things, yeah, yeah when yeah, you're yeah. at a very high level of competition. So for the regular guy who's listening right now who likes to get out on a Saturday and, you know, he's playing a public course, and do, do any of these things actually make a difference? They do, I think. I think the most important thing you can do for a player is actually getting properly fitted for a set of golf clubs. Going to a fitter, finding a finding a shaft that works good for you, and then the shaft is really the engine of a golf club. And then it and then it goes down to looks. You want to, when you look down at a golf club, you want it to look good. And it, you know, there's a lot of of confidence that goes in hitting something that you like. Wait, wait, you can diss someone else's good. golf club. But, you can you can diss you can diss somebody else's golf club. Walk by you got some ugly clubs. Oh yeah, yeah. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. <laughs> some serious trash. Man, it's like boy, I, I sure hope that club feels good because it's ugly. Hope <laughs> <laughs> uh, it feels good. I miss that scene. Like man. when you say when somebody has a pair of shoes that are ugly. Like God, I hope those are comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you must be saying that a lot because there's like some it. ugly. shoes shoes out there. What's the famous golf movie with Rodney Dangerfield? Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Yeah. I missed that scene. They, that, they needed that scene in Caddyshack. Yeah. <laughs> Just in someone's golf club. All right, Jimmy, before we have to let you go, and sadly, sadly, we will have to let you go. The guys are coming out now. They're punching 400 yards. There's talk of guys being able to drill it past 500. Is that the future of the game, or are we looking at still the best of the best of the best, not just the power guys? Oh, the power guys out here don't hit it that far. You're talking about the guys that just do long drive competitions. There, there is going to be yeah. a new class of player out here that's and it's already kind of starting to hit. You just got better athletes playing golf, and I'm not going to say better athletes. What has happened with the equipment is it's allowed kids and to these clubs have become so forgiving that they could swing at them harder and harder and harder. So the kids are learning how to hit the ball harder every year. And the clubs are letting them do that. So I think that's a big thing that you see on the increase in distance. Back when you were playing a, a wooden club and you didn't have the graphite, you're, when you missed one of those, the, they didn't go very far at all. So you really learned how to hit the golf ball properly every time and if you wanted to really step on one you had to really you had to, you're gonna have to pay a consequence if you missed it because it would really go offline where today these kids learn how to just smash it and there's not as much consequence if you just completely go at one so you're gonna see kids hitting it harder and harder and harder and harder but you sound a little bit like the old man telling him to get off your lawn Okay. <laughs> <That's weird. Yeah. laughs> These kids I am, today. I am, 40 now. I am 40 now, but I still hit it about as far as anybody. So I'm okay. <laughs> Good for you. I'm okay. See, yeah. he didn't fail to remind us that he's still hitting it as good as anyone. Yeah. That's it. Because that's what pros do. They're competitive. They, yeah. If, you, if, you th if you're going to go in a conversation line where maybe... It's not good. They're going to just bring you back and remind you just how good they are. Yes, okay. Jimmy. Right. Hey, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, Jimmy Walker there. Yeah. Six PGA Tour wins and counting. And counting. And a man whose and eyes counting. are fixed, not just on the prize, but way, way into the universe and some of its furthest past. So uh, to Jimmy Walker, thank you, sir. Thank you. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you to Jimmy Walker, the 2016 PGA Championship winner. And, of course, our very own personal astrophysicist, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, taking us through astrophotography and golf technology. Right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to drill deeper into golf tech with Matt Plum.
He is the former global product line manager of Nike Golf Clubs and a man who is now global product line manager of Nike Golf Shoes. And I can tell you, this interview is unbelievable. Do stick around. We'll be back shortly. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug, but I ended up connecting to the world around me a world where each sunset was painted where I felt adventure's pulse with every step, and where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. Welcome back to Playing With Science. Um, fabulous, fabulous interview with Jimmy Walker, and you have to check out Dark Sky Walker. Uh, he's not just a guy with a telescope pointed at the stars. He's a guy that takes the most amazing photographs and brings them into the public domain. Right, from one guy whose head's in the stars to a guy who is definitely based here on Earth. Got his feet on the ground. <laughs> yeah, he was... Global Product Line Manager for Nike Golf Clubs. He is now Global Product Line Manager for Nike Golf Shoes. Um, both of those sentences are vital to golf itself. So, Matt Plum, welcome to Playing With Science, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Um, all right, let's, let's sort of take a brief trip back through history. We know it was wooden and is in the whole thing. So, where did we go? Well, I mean, from that kind of getting the irons, getting everything sophisticated to where we are now, if you give us a quick journey, that would be perfect for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, wood to steel was the, the big revolution. As we moved from, from wooden golf clubs to steel golf clubs, um, we were able to, to specifically get the faces hotter and start to make the heads bigger. And then, uh, you know, the big thing was about how can we move those golf clubs quicker? So, so moving from steel to graphite in the shafts, was a huge move, um, being able to, you know, take golf shafts that had uh, traditionally been north of 125 grams and get those sub 100 grams. And, you know, mm -hmm. now we see some shafts sub sub 40 grams. Um, and then in the heads themselves, the, the big thing was being able to move from steel to titanium and now continuing to explore, um, you know, all sorts of alternative materials, whether it's carbon fiber or, or other alternative materials to, to lighten the golf club in certain spots which in effect allows us to make them bigger, uh, move the weight around, and, and have them fit more people. Amazing, because I think, Chuck, if you go to titanium, you're just gratuitously improving the price. See? <laughs> but, so it's interesting, because you've, you've touched on very lightly on the physics, because you've got all of these pivot points throughout a golfer's physique. Then you've got the momentum and speed. Is there much more you can do outside of the weight of the club? You know, it's funny. I think that the biggest revolutions going forward for, you know, the average golfer and or the, the tour player is going to be in, in terms of matching that equipment to them. And so, you know, if, if you look at kind of the rules and regulations that are set by the USGA and the RNA, um, in some way, shape or form, we've all 
touched one of the corners of those boxes. We've, we've made the golf clubs as big as they can be. We made them as fast as they can be. Um, you know, we've started to, to touch each one of those corners. And so with each product that comes out from, from every manufacturer, they kind of choose a lane. Um, you know, in my previous role as a, as a product manager for golf clubs, when we would brief in a product or we would, we would create a product, we would say, okay, what are we trying to accomplish here? Are we trying to make this one extremely forgiving? Are we trying to make it low spinning? Are we trying to make it real fast off the face or some combination thereof? But we've, with manufacturing, we basically touched all those corners. And so the biggest gains for people are going to be finding what ails them in their golf swing and finding the right product that matches to them. I think that's where you're going to start to see these huge gains that people talk about. So you're, you're kind of talking about like bespoke golf clubs. Like you're finding a way to custom tailor the club to the game that already exists instead of having the player kind of alter their game so they can use that type of club. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a, Chuck, do you remember the guys at the long drive yeah. competition yeah. we went to? And, you know, you needed a telescope just to see where that ball landed. That was way off in the distance. Now, if I put one of those light clubs in one of those bruisers or maybe some, you know what, one of the DEs off of the NFL who's 270 pounds and can swing it, would that be like putting a V12 engine in a little mini? Something is bound to go wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's it's that. There's So there's durability concerns. But then there's also, you know, if you've got players who are um, high speed or high spin, you know, matching them to product that was is designed to lower their spin rate or matching somebody to a, a product that's designed to draw the golf ball when they fight a slice. That's where I think the average player is going to see the biggest gains. So let me ask you this, when you talk about like matching players to clubs, and I'm talking all players, not just professional players. We're talking, you know, golf is a hugely popular sport uh, and you see people out, especially this time of year, all over the country. So um, what can you tell about your swing based on, let's say, like the divot that you leave? And then what would that do in terms of, clubs and what you want to do with what type of club you would like to have. I only ask, maybe there's guys out there right now listening. It's just like that they might be able to pick something up from you as a tip. So just from the divot that I leave, would I be able to find something out about my swing or what kind of club I need? You can find a ton out about the divot. That's, you know, in, in my experience with fitting, that's how we fit people is we read their divots. And it's, it's a little bit of um, kind of matching that art and that science. So when you look at the divot, it's, it's kind of a blueprint of what happened during that golf shot because the divot on a well-struck shot stop, starts after you've struck the golf ball. Um, if you look at a divot and you see it um, a little bit longer on the toe side of the golf club, specifically with an iron, you, you've got some indication that potentially that golf club was either swung over the top or also your golf clubs may be too flat for you um, in terms of the lie angle measurement. If you see that the golf, the divot is a little bit longer on the heel side, potentially that golf club was, was swung from the inside, but also potentially could be a little bit too upright. So the divot combined with what we saw in the shape of the shot will often tell us a lot about if those golf clubs fit or match to that consumer, that, that professional. That's amazing. Because I hadn't, now you say that, duh, Gary, that's obvious. But yeah. until you go divot. Well, that just means you're hitting the ground, not the ball, you fool. But now, now you've got so much, I mean, this is, this is really cute data analysis where you're saying, you know what, this minimal part here at the, at the swing end is a major disruption at the far end where the ball lands because it's taking it off into the trees, the, wherever it is, the water hazard. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, all right, go back to the data. Is because every sport now has an avalanche of data analytics. Has, has that had an effect on club design? Has that had a massive effect on golf and players and such? Hugely, hugely. I mean, if you, you walk up and down a PGA Tour event nowadays, you don't see many players hitting shots or, hit, or practicing without some sort of data capture device behind them, whether it's a TrackMan or a FlightScope or, or a GC Quad. Um, you're seeing all these players wanting to know data about each one of their shots and being able to adjust whether it's for conditions, whether it's for the way they're swinging that day. Um, and for, for us on the manufacturing side, to be able to, to measure and calculate all of that data um, starts to show trends and themes and, and areas where we can create improvement. 
Uh, how far? Uh, you've just given me an idea, Chuck. You know what this means? My brain hurts. Right. How far are we away from the perfect one size fits all golf club that will adjust itself? Is that just me having a, fan- a fantasy moment, or is that possible? I mean, one size fits all. I think is maybe a bit of a fantasy moment, but it's a, it's a nice north star for people to start to think about. Um, yeah. I think one size fits you. You know, you've seen some companies start to explore the single length irons and the th- single length, so you can, in theory, bring one swing and 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 have all fourteen of your golf clubs or thirteen of your golf clubs fit. That's Bryson DeChambeau. Absolutely. Yep. He may not be one of yours, but he is a golfer that's done exactly that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, one size fits all, maybe not so much because you look at, you know, Mrs. Haberkamp at 68 years old and, you know, the the really good young 18-year-old player who's playing at Sage Valley, you, you've got some some varying uh, physical attributes that maybe one size fits all is a little bit, little bit extreme. So one, one size fits you. It seems, it seems kind of like that when I think about what you just said earlier – is it that you guys are now looking at clubs in such a way? And once again, I'm talking for the average player, okay? Not, not your ti- not your Tiger Woods. Which, by the way, congratulations to Nike uh, uh, along with Tiger, because as, as Tiger goes, so does Nike. You guys, you know, you guys are kind of married together in in a wonderful in a wonderful union. So, congratulations. Thank you. We like to say, as as Tiger goes, so the golf business goes. I mean, people talk about moving the needle. We, Tiger is the needle in, in terms of the golf business. Absolutely. But from what you said earlier and what you just said about, you know, uh, Mrs. Whoever and the young 18-year-old, are you guys now looking at clubs in terms of taking the player's game and then making the club to kind of I don't know, compensate for player deficiencies so that you can actually find your correction in the club? Is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the old adage goes golf's a game of misses, right? And it's it's making your misses better is, is generally what we're all about. Whether you're, to your point, talking about the, the tour caliber player or you're talking about the average player, we all have missed tendencies. And if we can make those misses certain percentages better, um, you know, when we get to the golf course, we get away from the driving range, we get on the golf course. If, if you can miss 15% less right, or if you can miss 15% longer than you normally would have missed, we're, we've potentially made you better. And ultimately, shooting lower scores is what we're after. Wow. So the club takes away the player error. It can. It, it, it can. It not, not removes it completely, but reduces. Reduces, that- Absolutely. That's interesting because, you know, we've all seen it. The angry, the angry golfer who bends the club over his knee and then throws it <laughs> into the lake. All the time blaming the tools and, and rather than himself. But you've taken the other point where we can reduce the need for you to bend that over your knee or wrap it around a tree. <laughs> Absolutely. So, well, well, no, you won't. You won't be able to do that. Now you'll have a player like you've seen a player like fling the club into like the water hazard. Now they'll now they'll do that and go. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh please, <laughs> please come back. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so what what technology is there left that you could utilize? to take it to another level, or are you at the level possibly unless something brilliant comes along? I mean, I think there's, you know, we used to jokingly call it unobtainium, right? There's, there's got to be some material <laughs> out there that, that nobody's experimented with or hasn't, hasn't been created yet. So I'm stealing that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm stealing that. Um, you know, I think the idea, it's funny when you think about, you know, everybody loves to talk about drivers, but when you think about a driver head, at the end of the day, it's, you know, 200 to 205 grams of something at the end of a 45 and a half inch long um, graphite shaft. And yeah. so until that equation changes, which it's, it's probably not going to change drastically, when you, you, you speak with the engineers and the, and the designers and the people behind creating these clubs, it's basically a 205 gram um, ball of clay. And they can, they can mold and shape and adjust that 205 gram ball of clay any way they want. The one thing they can't do is they can't add clay to it and they can't take clay away. And then you start figuring out, okay, the USGA and the RNA have set rules it can only be 460 cc big. It can't have anything that passes through it or create any open holes in it. 
There's regulations about where the hosel must be placed and, and how the shaft can go into it. Uh-huh. And then you've got your you know regulations on moving parts and how they have to lock into place and things like that. So at some point, the the equation is defined for us. And it's, it's about finding creative ways to, to solve for that equation, if that makes sense. How do you check? Because like in a hockey stick, you have pivot points. Yep. Do you play with those along the shaft of the golf club? Absolutely. So the, the shaft companies are, are fantastic. They, they use a lot of things. They call them EI curves or bend uh-huh. curves. Yeah, yeah. So you can have shafts that kick higher up the shaft or lower up down the shaft. You can have um, create stiffnesses in certain areas, which will produce certain feels and certain um, characteristics in terms of ball flight of launch and spin. Is there anyone that you might be able to know that, you know, you've fitted for a club and you've done this whole process that we just discussed, and then they saw like a dramatic change in their game, professional or otherwise, pr- pr- Preferably professional, because then we would know who it is. is, is, is <laughs> or, or am I just being a little too big with you know the way this works? You know, it's it's funny. You 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 have these mini wins, and, and you look at um, all the the people who work out on the PJ Tour and in, in, in support for the different equipment manufacturers. And every week, that's their job. They're there to to do what we would call emergency surgery. Um, you might find a player who has missed three cuts in a row and is just fed up with their driver. And they're going to come to you on Monday morning and they're going to say, hey, I need a new driver. And, you know, time and time again, they'll get a new driver. They fall in love with it and they'll start making cuts or they'll, they'll have a win. So you hear stories like that every single week um, where, you know, sometimes it's just confidence. The players lost confidence in that golf club or a yeah. set of golf clubs. Sometimes it's truly finding um, something, you know, with, it, with a huge distance gain or a huge miss correction where, you know, you've got a, got a player who's made a swing change and all of a sudden they're, they're not able to hit the golf club the way they used to. Mm-hmm. And you see these, these crazy changes where, um, you know, an athlete grabs a new golf club and all of a sudden they, their fairways goes up, their fairway statistic goes up by 10, 15, 20%. And that's the difference between them making a cut or, or finishing top 10 or even winning a golf tournament. Do you have a department to study the science of uh, superstition? <laughs> we don't. We don't, but you know the old adage goes: you'd rather be lucky than good, right? Yeah. Right. So, I, and, and knowing sportsmen the, and I was women, say by by the way, in in medicine, you know, sometimes placebos can be the most effective medicine you can ever prescribe because there are people who will take a sugar pill and and their body cures themselves, but they think they think it's the pill, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, I have had a had a time. I was working with one of our players over in Europe, and uh, his wedge play hadn't been very good. And he, he came into the PGA Tour trailer and he said, he said, Matt, will you take a look at my wedges? And I said, sure, what's going on? And he said, well, I've just spent an hour with my coach and I know it's not my swing. Um, I've just spent an hour with, um, it, with my body and I know it's not my body. So it's got to be the equipment that, that's making my wedge play not be good. And it's just that mentality of the fact that you go through and you, you check his wedges and, and you look at him and you said, there's, there's absolutely nothing changed or wrong with your wedges. They're the same they were yesterday when you, you were good. Um, and so it's, it's that placebo effect. Sometimes it's just, just putting them in the loft and line machine, checking them, double checking them and handing them back to the player and saying, you're all good. And it gives them that confidence to go back out there. And- all right. Take, I mean, that, that aside, which I, I, having been around enough athletes, I know exactly how you feel. Has a golfer come to you and said, look, this is what I want you to do with this club. Because they know, they know exactly what their swing is. They know it for this particular course, this particular moment. And they've gone, that's how I want it set up. That's the solution I'm looking for in the club. Can we do that? And they've been 100% right. Or do you have to steer them in another direction? No, I, we've, we've, all, we've definitely had that. Um, you know, you, we've got athletes that we refer to as, as almost freaks of nature because they've got that, that hyper touch. Um, yeah. You know, you've heard all the stories about Tiger being able to feel bubbles underneath the grip of his, his driver shaft and things like that. But you've got athletes that um, – they're so, so hypersensitive to what they, they feel and do with their craft that they can give you really clear direction about what they're looking for. Uh, we talk about it all the time. You see athletes on kind of both sides of the spectrum. You see those that are very tuned into their equipment and can tell you everything about every speck of their equipment and really want to know all the details. And you see others that just, you know, it's, it's kind of like bat and ball, like just this is my tool and I use it to hit and I leave it to, to the equipment experts to help make sure it's going to do what I need it to do. And then wow. it's you tend to find some of those that are that are stuck in the middle that tend to get a little bit lost because they're not sure which way they want to be. So the best athletes are the ones that are on either side of that spectrum, from, from my experience. How interesting! Fantastic. Because we this goes back to the race car driver, Chuck, that yeah. is yeah. at one 
with the machine. They know when a tire has got a right. couple of pounds less. They know when something's on, something's off. And it is that magic, that intuitive magic that they have with the course, with the club. They know everything that's going on as well as they've got a, a, a really good caddy behind them. It's about them when they go up and they, they start to address the ball. All right, let's, let's move away from golf clubs and, and focus on where you are right now. Because Chuck and I could go onto the golf course and Chuck's far better at golf etiquette than I am. I'd turn up in my sneakers and my denims and uh, I'd be thrown out immediately but you're all about the golf shoes now. And without being grounded, the whole physics and rotation of a golf, pl- of a golf swing can't be there. So how much of the physics has found its way into shoe design for you? Oh, it's, it's been unbelievable. It's been cool to take, um, you know, a lot of that um, very scientific thinking that we had with, with golf equipment and apply mm-hmm. it to our golf footwear. Um, you know, we, we look at golf footwear in kind of three ways. You look at, at the fit of that golf shoe, the ride of that golf shoe and the traction of that golf shoe. And all three components really are things that are necessary that, that maybe your trainers or your, your running shoes wouldn't allow you to have to hit a, hit a proper golf shot. So you think about um, the way that we set the, the athlete up, uh, the height they are off the ground, because when we introduce, you know, the plate off on the bottom of that shoe, plus some spikes, ah. you're actually getting somebody higher off the ground. The uh-huh. amount of, of drop or offset, those are terms that people that, that wear running shoes would understand as well. But the, the difference between the, the height of your heel versus the height of your toes, um, we can that can manipulate not only a golfer's setup position, the positions they're able to get into during the golf swing, but also potentially the fit of their golf clubs. If you get an athlete that, that is dropped too low on their heels, their hands are going to sit lower and all of a sudden their golf clubs are going to be more upright and they might hit some hooks. They're going to go under the ball. They're going to come underneath and it's going to go all over. Do you do with the shoes the same that the soccer players do and the high-end athletes do and bespoke the footwear? Or is it, do you know what, yours are in that box over there? You know, we've we've gone through kind of both versions. We've got about three uh-huh. players on our staff right now that we, uh, we bespoke their footwear for. And it's generally out of need, not out of um, okay. anything vanity. So, so you look at, you may have a player who's got an abnormally wide foot you may have a player who's had an injury and, and may need something different. Um, we've got some players that wear a full size difference between their left shoe and their right shoe. Yeah, um, not so, unheard so of. Some, yeah. Not unheard of and not uncommon. But so we'll bespoke some of those. Um, but as a whole, we've got about ninety five percent of our players uh, wearing shoes right out of the box. Wow, that was a that was a big thing for us that that we've made in a change in the last couple of years. So what's what's the thinking? Because to do that, you've got to be really in tune with the footwear and the needs and how you find that sweet spot for the broad spectrum of of, of the shape and size that feet come in you know yeah, like you got foot you got you got feet like barney flint you know fred flintstone you've got a feet like a hobbit and then you've got this slender ballerina's foot that comes along so how do you find that area without there being a problem it's um, we do a lot of lot of testing, a lot of consumer testing. So our, our journey, um, you know, currently right now we're working on um, footwear out as far as 2021. All so right. I've, I've looked at, at our summer 2021 line and we know kind of what's going to go in that um, through that process, through that basically 24 month process. We'll do consumer testing with, you know, upwards of 150 consumers. Um, and, and in each one of those, we're asking them to wear it for eight to 10 to 12 rounds. And so not only consulting with just our tour players to make sure that, that their stuff's right, but it's it's yeah. working with that variety of, of consumers across the globe. Because that's where your market is. Your market is the consumer across the globe, not so much the PGA Tour guys. Are you bor- are you borrowing ideas on footwear from other sports? Like- oh, absolutely. Ah, are you, are you, are you going to tell us anything? Yeah, exactly. One of our, our you know, unbelievable abilities here at Nike is that, you know, things that work in one sport may have an application in other sports. That's pretty um, cool. And it may be, it's, it's very cool. The way that we've kind of set our lineup, um, we've got one area of, of footwear that's directly um, built around that. We call it our icons and it's bringing shoes that, you know, like an Air Max or like a Roshi that, that, that you probably have in your closet, uh-huh. taking them and, and maybe changing that last 10% for what's, what's needed for, for golf, putting traction on it, putting stability elements in it and things like that. And then we've got other areas where we may take um, something like our, our React foam, which is, has been um, really prominent in our running shoes right now, yeah. and applying that to golf in the right spots to provide cushioning because we spend so much of our time on our feet when we play around a round of golf. Yeah. You know, you're, 
at minimum four hours and, and sometimes upwards of five, six, seven hours if you warm up and do some of the things that you do before the round. And so, you know, we talk about a lot of times what the golf shoe needs in the swing phase of it, but it's also in the walking phase that it's, it's incredibly critical. You think about a PGA Tour player playing a, a tournament, they're going to play four competitive rounds. They're going to walk six to seven miles in, in those, each one of those rounds. They're walking more than a marathon worth of, worth of miles in a given week. And the, the expression you have right there—that's that's different, right? You you don't think yeah. about PJ Tour players. But it's obvious. Point. It's it's obvious, but you have to be led to that point to see. Well, that's obvious. Why didn't I think of that before? And then you say, well, that's why we put this foam in there. That's why we structure. That's why we have to have a wellness attitude for our athletes. Absolutely. If you were to make the perfect golf swing, the golf shoe to swing in, it would yeah. be stiff as a board and have carbon plates everywhere and be. Be, be really, really stiff. If you were to make the perfect... And you'd have blisters on your feet by the time you got the whole 12. <laughs> exactly. It's not a walking shoe. And right. vice versa, if we made a really good walking shoe, it wouldn't be stable enough to swing it. So it's finding that healthy balance between wow. the two. Wow. If you, if, if you knew before, I think you'd realize you didn't know before because he's just given us an awful lot of insight, Chuck. Not yeah. Not just club tech, but the shoe design and where they're going. Matt Plum... Hey, Matt, oh, so product much, line manager at Nike Golf Shoes. You have been a star for us. And uh, you know what? We, we're going to dial your number again in the future and have another chat if you don't mind. I'd love to. Thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. Been a pleasure. All right, Chuck. Man, that's our show. Thank you to Matt Plum, uh, global product line manager for Nike Golf Shoes that was former Nike Golf Clubs and has moved sideways into shoe design. And uh, I'm so pleased that we have the access to that. And and Jimmy Walker? What a, what a great interview that was. That, <laughs> that guy's amazing. I've never seen a golfer nerd out like that before. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed, I have to say. And, and, his, and if you ever get the chance, people, make sure that you get to his website and check out his work because oh, it's fantastic. please do. Dark Skywalker. Um, for those of you who weren't big golf fans before, I think you realize that there is so much science to be had and not just the physics. So... Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our little trip down the fairway. It's been a lot of fun, Chuck, has it not? It has been. It has, right. This has been Playing With Science. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And we will be with you with a new episode very, very shortly. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted. Where I felt adventures pulse with every step. And where cold water trickling... Pine swaying and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota, so little time.